That is a great video to start off with, um, especially that quote saying, um, why does God kill people a lot in the Bible? So let me just pray before we get started, and then we'll jump into this awesome question. So Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity um, to know you and to be known by you. Um, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh Lord. Amen. Okay, so um, this is my first sermon. I don't know if Preston said that. Um, and when I have an experience in life, I always put things in two categories. It's either a good time or a good, or a good story. And it kind of makes sense of everything, so you guys can take that if you want. Um, and so I'm really hoping tonight is actually a good time for all of us. Um, and it's not a good story where one day we say, remember that time you preached a sermon and uh, a long, long time from now. Um, so before I start, I'd love for you guys to take 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you, um, and ask them what comes to mind uh, when they think of the God of the Old Testament. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for doing that. Um, keep holding those thoughts and that conversation as we go through the sermon. So, I'm from South Carolina, um, home of the Clemson Tigers, national champions, for anyone who cares about that. Um, I lived in Canada where I attended seminary, then England, then Hong Kong. And in every place I lived in, I would make assumptions about the people who are around me. We all do it. We create a narrative about the people, the culture, in, in order to make sense of everything. And I just want to um, say that we all make these assumptions. And some of the assumptions you might hold um, is that Southerners like me, um, because we talk a little slow, you might assume that we're dumb. And I'm pretty sure that's from... Forrest Gump. Um, or he might assume that all Canadians want to be American, all play hockey, and love, um, I'm pretty sure this is like the national food, french fries covered in gravy and cheese known as poutine. It's very fatty. Um, so we all make assumptions about cultures. I'm not offended by the southern one at all, because it's not true. Um, I made some negative assumptions, which we all do as well, while I was living in Canada. Um, and I made this about the Chinese people. Um, I'm gonna drop these, so it looks a little dramatic. Um, I made these about the Chinese people I, I was living around, and the Chinese make up a huge population um, in Vancouver. And what I, um, uh, what I came to experience from them, and when you were walking on the sidewalk, um, with them, they would often just stop, like immediately, for no reason, to look at their phone, to take a picture, to talk to each other, and you'd be going, and then you'd just come to a, a direct halt, and you weren't expecting it, and, um, and you get frustrated, and you like almost hit people, and so I just made the assumption that they didn't care about the people around them when they were walking on the sidewalk, and uh, 
And then, oh, sorry, I should have told you these slides. So the, yeah, so then I moved to Hong Kong. Um, and you can go to the next one, Adam. Um, this is me in Hong Kong, just to prove it. So um, Hong Kong is an island um, made up of its total 34 square miles, has a population of 91,000 people per square mile. Um, just to make a comparison, New York City is 302 square miles, and it has 27,000 people uh, per square mile. Huge, huge difference when you're walking around. Um, so when I was there, I learned that you just have to get where you're going as fast as you can um, because there's so many people. I mean, you walk in the road, you walk over people, you jump over people, you do whatever it takes um, because you just need to get to your destination. Um, so I became one of those people who walked on the sidewalk and didn't care about the people around me. I mean, I would just stop, take a picture of the scenery, of the architecture, um, and I became aware um, that I had assumed something that was wrong about these people and that they grew up in this culture um, where you just got things done and you didn't get frustrated. People, you just adjusted. You were super flexible. Um, and because um, so many people on this tiny island. And even in mainland China, small cities, there are five million people. So it's, you know, a common experience for the Chinese. Um, so I was really humbled by this experience, and, um, and that's what I want to talk to you about um, tonight, about the negative assumptions we make about God. Um, next slide, Adam. Thank you. So this, oh, can you go back one? Did we, oh, yeah. Just to the, um, it's actually an angry God picture. Yep, there we go. Um, so this is uh, what I, I believe some people think about when they think about God. So when we're reading the Old Testament, we often read something we don't like, and we create a therefore. God kills people, therefore he is a terrible and vengeful God. Or slavery existed in the Old Testament, therefore God condoned it, therefore God agrees with women in slavery, and on and on. And Richard Dawkins, who's a prominent atheist um, from England, um, says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filiocidal, um, capriciously malevolent bully. Um, so safe to say he has some negative assumptions about God. And some of those words, I don't even know what they mean, honestly. Um, uh, so I understand, and I can understand from even um, Dawkins' perspective, why we make um, these negative assumptions. But the hard thing um, is, um, is that unless we hold these negative assumptions, it is going to be so hard for us to understand who God is. Um, and that is going to hinder us from building a relationship with him. Um, questions about God and his ways are always welcome, and they serve us when seeking to understand God of the Old Testament. We talk about that a lot in this church, and, 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 um, and I'll show you later about God and um, 
the um, character we're going to talk about who, who asks questions. Um, but it is never going to help us to hold negative assumptions um, about the Lord um, and understand who he is. So can I go to the next slide? So I'm going to, um, this one's going to be saying no, main points. Um, so I'm going to talk about a couple of points that I'd love you to consider as we go through this scripture. So the first is the Bible is the authority on itself. We are not the authority of the Bible, um, which means in order to know God, we have to submit. Oh, I forgot my Bible. Can you get my Bible? Um, oh, no, Hannah has it. Sorry. I'll use a pretend Bible. Um, so in order to submit, we have to submit to the Bible's authority and relinquish the authority we give ourselves to determine what is right and wrong when reading Scripture. So imagine I have a Bible right here. Um, and this is what we do. So we put the Bible under our feet and we say, I, my thoughts and my feelings about what God is doing in the Old Testament is right. Obviously, he's doing something wrong um, and therefore, I don't want anything to do with him. So we say that we're right, God is wrong. Um, the other posture, which I'm encouraging you guys um, to take, is to put the Bible over you, and you submit your feelings and your thoughts about God to what the Bible says, and that's giving Scripture the authority um, that we must have in order to understand who God is. And you can pray that God helps you with that. I think that's hard in our culture, um, and we can pray about that and offer prayer about that later. And then second one is that the Bible is not written about us, it is written for us. Um, so you must have a biblical lens to understand it and therein um, grow in your relationship and knowledge about who God is. Um, so let me concentrate on the second part. It is created for us to know God and his love for us. Um, yet, it is not about us. Um, you cannot have a 21st century lens um, as it will not serve you um, because this is a wholly different culture. It's a wholly different people. It's a whole, whole different societal norms. Um, and so I'm going to give you guys some ideas of, of what a, a gaining a biblical lens will do. Um, but again, this is going to be of great service to you as you um, seek to understand the God of the Old Testament. So one last thing, I have a quote from someone I don't know, um, so, sorry, um, don't make assumptions, find the courage to ask questions. I will tell you that this is hard for me, because um, as I showed you, I love to make assumptions about the world, and I love to be right, um, and yet it takes far more courage to ask questions and to sit in the unknown, not knowing if these questions are going to be answered, then to just assume that you're right um, and to come to your own conclusion. So I'm going to ask us to take the courage um, to just hold our assumptions right now as we go through this scripture. Um, and I'm going to talk about um, the story of Abram, who will later become Abraham, um, and God. And I'm going to demonstrate through this how God and Jesus are the same um, throughout um, or God and Jesus, they're the same throughout Scripture, but especially show um, how they are the same in the story of Abraham. 
Abram. Um, so again, I'm going to ask you to hold these assumptions that you have about the Old Testament. Um, and before we jump in, can you go to the next slide, Adam? Um, we are going to talk about the ancient Near Eastern culture. So I wanted to do this because this is the culture in which Abram um, first interacted with God. Um, and so it's helpful to know this, to understand what he was experiencing, what it would have been like to have a God come and speak to you. Um, so first thing, it was a polytheistic culture. Um, it um, obviously had a belief in many gods, that they were part of the cosmos, that there was gods of the moon, um, of the stars, of the land, of the seas, um, and they controlled the cosmos, so they decided whatever happened. Um, tsunamis, hurricanes, um, droughts. They were superhuman beings, they could do far more than us, and they lived in communities and made decisions in groups. Now the interesting thing about um, these gods are that they had um, about their relationship with humans. So there was high anxiety at this time because you never knew where you stood with these gods. Um, you could get in trouble pretty quickly even though you thought you were doing the right thing. Um, humans were an afterthought and they were only created um, for slave labor. They were only created to serve the gods. Um, your best hope when you died was to um, go to heaven, um, but you might end up in the netherworld and be in community with your ancestors. However, that sounds like a terrible place from our sources. So, heaven we hoped for. Um, next slide. All right, so this is where um, Abram came for, from. You can see um, that red arrow, that's Ur of the Chaldees. This is modern day Iraq. Second slide. Um, so this is uh, just a kind of depiction of what um, it would have looked like. And I want to point out where that red arrow is. That's called the ziggurat. And that was a staircase built um, for the gods to ascend um, when they needed rest. And then the second picture is what it looks like today. All right, so this is just a god um, in, that you would worship in Ur. Um, this is the moon god, Nanar. Oh, sorry, yep. Um, and so you can see in this picture, um, the god is above these people, and they're all doing something. Um, so they're all just serving the needs of these gods. And you can see the division between the people, right? Like, there's no interaction with them. Um, and that's important to remember. Okay, I'm going to ask Hannah Curry to come up. Yeah, Hannah. Who knows Hannah? <laughs> yeah, thank you. So I'm going to read some scripture for us tonight. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your, re your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will, you give, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and the number of the stars, and you're able to number them. And he said to him, So, your off so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And 17. A, 17. Thanks. Sorry. No, I... uh, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Awesome. Thanks, Hannah. I'll take it. And I just want to say this is the tiniest text, so she really did a great job. Um, all right. So let's, next slide, let's break this down. So... This is the first time, Genesis 12, that Abram and God interact. Um, and so it, God comes to Abram, and the first thing he says to him is this great promise. I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you, make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Um, so he gives him this um, this promise, and I just want us to consider how different um, his relationship with Abram as we go on um, is compared to the gods um, of Ur. So Abram was told to leave Ur after that, and um, Abram did. And I thought this was a huge act of obedience because um, he had just met God. Um, and so he didn't really know. He was just hoping this promise would come true, and he thought, this is a good idea. Um, I would love for this to happen. So I'm going to be obedient. Um, next slide. So Genesis 15 is where we next um, uh, have a dialogue between Abram and, um, and God. And so... God says, do not fear, um, your obedience will lead to a great reward. Verse 2 is the first question that Abram asked God. Um, he didn't even ask questions about when he, uh, about the time he was asked to leave um, his land. So first question, um, Sarai, his wife, is nine, nine years old, and how is it possible that he will be a great nation when he has no offspring? So he's thinking someone else in his family is going to have to be um, the one to produce this great nation. And so, frustrating question, and, um, and then his complaint, you've given me no offspring. Um, God reaffirmed the promise, and Abraham believed for a hot second, because his next question is, how will I know I shall possess the land? Um, and God tells him to prepare animals to make the covenant with him. So this is God taking action um, right after Abram reveals how nervous he is that this won't come to pass. All right, so the covenant. Um, a covenant um, back in Jewish culture was... Um, created by co 
cutting animals that were considered clean, there's unclean, clean animals, in half. Um, it was like a, a, a legal representation, like the biggest legal representation you could do because whoever went through the animals took on the curse should either party um, not fulfill um, the covenant that was agreed upon. And so in this story, Abraham, Abram, um, goes ahead, cuts up the animals, and um, it takes like a day to do this. It's so messy, it's so bloody. And then a fire pot appears, um, it's nighttime, and it has a flaming torch in it, which represents God, and we see this throughout the Bible. So God, the, the, in the form of this flaming torch, walks through the animals. And in doing this, um, God promises to take on the curse, promises to become like the dead animals, should Abram not fulfill um, his part, which is to obey. Should the people that Abram will go on to produce um, and will be his offspring sin against him. So Abram, God will become like the dead animals um, should they not keep his commands. Essentially, God was guaranteeing this promise would come to pass. We all know that God would keep his part. Um, Abram was, uh, we weren't sure. But I suspect God knew this was going to happen because then we're taken immediately to the cross. So the cross, the crucifixion was Christ, of Christ was the fulfillment of this covenant that God made. Um, we see this in Matthew 27, 32 through 56, which is the crucifixion of Christ. So God um, affirmed, was able to bring about the promise for us because he took on the death, he took on the curse um, for uh to um, essentially fulfill the covenant and the requirements of the covenant. Um, and so we experience this blessing today um, because this is a, what allows us to flourish. So this is what God said, I will make a promise with you, um, and it is a good, good promise. And as a result, you will flourish and you will be a blessing to others so that you can help them to flourish. And so God wanted it so badly for us that he died and took on the curse um, so that we may have life. Um, so verse 18, and this is actually 18 through 20, but um, God reaffirms the covenant he made, and then he names places that he's going to give, um, that he's going to give Abram. Can we go back a slide, Adam? That's awesome. So this is just a representation. You can see how messy the animals are. Um, and then you can see the torch. So you can imagine God walking through them. Um, and then the next slide was the crucifixion. Um, and, oh, um, can you go back just, just to hold it on the crucifixion? Um, so in this, um, what we're seeing um, through this story is the demonstration of God's great love for us. Um, so essentially from the beginning of God's relationship with humanity, which I could 
we could start in the beginning. As soon as humans were made, we could start before that. God has been setting the bar for what love is. You cannot show greater love than this um, for people. And um, again, how different this is from the gods that Abram came to know um, and grew up with. So this is the, um, this is why this greatest act of love shows why God is worth getting to know. And he's worth getting to know and holding your assumptions, holding your negative assumptions while you are seeking to understand who he is. Um, so I want to talk about now what do you do with all this? Um, so I don't know. Um, I'll bring it up the worship team in like five minutes. Um, so <laughs> that sounds weird. Um, so I just want to say, first off, I'm going to talk about the implications of, um, of what this all means and give you guys an idea of how to take a step forward um, in this. But I just want to say first that I think a lot of people have been um, abused by the God of the Old Testament. I think in a lot of times people take um, scripture out of context and they use it against to identify sin, um, to um, use it to gain their own authority, and I've had that happen to me. Um, and so I just want to say I'm really sorry. Um, that would never be God's intention for his word. Um, and I would love to pray for you at the end of this um, about that. So implications um, about what do we do now um, with um, knowing these things. Um, so we have to submit again, to the reality that we are not the authority on the Bible. Um, the Bible is the authority on itself. It can interpret itself um, as well. And so you are actually not needed to interpret it. You can understand through your own experiences. We have to be really careful to, to and examine our conclusions again um, when we think that we have come to one. Um, we must uh, take a posture of submission and so again, it goes back to that. Putting the Bible under our feet is never going to serve us. And I believe that if you're here, um, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, you do want to understand God. Um, you have questions, and these are going to help you, regardless of where you end up, regardless of you say, yes, God, I want to give my life to you. Um, if you're a Christian, this is going to help build a relationship with God and help understand further how to love him and live your life for him. Um, and so I just want to continue to encourage you guys to do that. Um, bring, a, bring a posture of curiosity. And when you feel, I have that like gut instinct, it like rises out of me and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't agree with that. And then I have to just breathe and say, but what if God wants the best for us? And what if this is God's um, leading us to the best? all of the people throughout the Bible. Um, this is something Preston hit on. Let's learn to accept that most, uh, not most, a lot of our faith 
um, remains a mystery. Um, again, because God has decided it's not important for those questions to be answered, or it's in our best interest for those questions not to be answered. Um, and what faith is growing um, a lot in, as you grow, you ask more questions. Um, the church fathers, or the fathers who um, helped us kind of pick out scripture, um, or what is in the Bible, they have this view of God that learning about who God is, is like a mountain. And the bottom of the mountain is really light. And then as you start to go up, it's really dark. And so um, I'm not saying that's all going to be our experiences, because I believe um, that God does answer our questions um, if we need them answered, if he believes it's in our best interest. Um, but really, it's a lot of tension. It's a lot of tension. It's a lot of whys. And so what we really need to do is pray for God to help us sit in the tension. It's okay to have questions. Um, it's okay to not know the answer, um, but you can trust and, and just choose to trust that it is your best interest not to know the answer now and knowing that one day they all will be answered. Um, I didn't put this on here, but read commentaries. So these are by people called theologians, which simply means um, God talk, so people who um, talk about God. And um, they have studied, extensively studied the culture and the people um, and the societal norms um, in the Bible. And this will help really help you acquire a biblical lens. So honestly, I have a Bible and I have a commentary. So you open a story and you immediately go and you open it, the commentary, and what you learn is the context, the original language, um, how this would have been understood, um, and that is so helpful for you um, to acquire this biblical lens. And, um, and so I would love to and, and um, can gather some of those commentaries for you to read. Really hesitate just Googling this on the internet because things can be weird. Um, but I have, Preston has some great resources, so we can um, get that to you. The last thing is to start to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament, just like I did. Um, band, can you come up? Um, and so start to connect um, what you are, learn about God and what you see Jesus doing. So I um, found this in um, the story of Hagar from Genesis 7 through 14. Um, and then in the woman um, who was bleeding um, from Luke 8, 43 through 48. And what you'll begin to see, these questions are, how does that you should bring, how is God responding to this woman um, in Genesis, and how is Jesus responding to this woman? And start to pick out the similarities. Um, and I believe, and I know that you'll find a lot. Um, so... Yeah, um, so just to say, and just to end with this, um, throughout humanity's relationship with God, he has been deconstructing what um, they think about him. 
um, he had to deconstruct a lot, a lot um, of thoughts about um, who he was because he came into a culture with so many of these gods who created anxiety um, and insecurity and really didn't care about you um, in order to have a relationship with people. And he does that for us. Um, and so the ways that I've encouraged you to do this will help um, a ton of deconstructing what you think, of what you've acquired, of what maybe has been just kind of, um, it, it's not right, it's just been given to you and you've been abused by it. Um, and to break that free and to really build up the truth about who he is. Um, he has been setting the bar from the beginning of time um, and he is so worth knowing and seeking to understand. Um, so with that, I um, just want to say thank you so much for letting me give my first sermon. And um, I think this is a good time.